Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back. This is COVID bonus 10. Yes, take one and only. Take one. Because I am not doing this more than once. So this is the review of all of the literature for the week, and we've had enough. There you go. So we'll start on Chan et al., the Journal of Hospital Infection, studied the concentration of viable SARS-CoV-2 after exposure of a range of environmental conditions. Conditions. So this is actually virus that isn't just dead DNA or RNA sitting around. It's actually like viable. And they found that the the virus that was retained that virus retained viability for three to five days when it was dried, like deep, like dried, like, like in a smoker, or a dehydrator. dehydrator. Yeah, I don't uh, know. And for seven days when it was in a solution at room temperature. So. Are they making like kombucha or whatever? I don't know. <laughs> uh, survival improved at lower temperatures and declined at higher temperatures. Which we kind of knew. Right. And it also remained viable at a range of pH values, but lost infectivity at the extreme. So if you eat it, it's probably going to die. Yeah. If so if you in- drink that liquid off the counter, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't, um, don't lick the counter that's wet. And it quickly lost infectivity in watery stool during the three days. So flush the toilet. But they did say that the uh, <laughs> domestic disinfectants actually worked well. There Killed it. So I'm just, yes, very interesting study. Yeah. And you were you liked this next one. It was actually by Davies et al. This was actually in The Lancet, Child and Adolescent Health. And this was a whole thing with that multi-system syndrome, uh, really looking at uh, these patients and how they did and the troubles they had. And it was interesting that fever, shock, and GI symptoms were actually the most common presenting features in this particular group. And in fact, almost half ended up being invasively ventilated. These are the kids with that pediatric inflammatory multi-system syndrome, otherwise known as MIC-C. Yeah. Average age was 11, though. Yeah. And mostly Al- male. Almost a third of them had co- the whole coronary artery problem. Uh, and actually, uh, 4%, they said three of them actually needed ECMO. ECMO. So, yeah, two of them died. Uh, so that's a serious thing. When they get that, uh, this is a bit of an issue. But, yeah, I thought it was interesting that the median age was 11. 11, which is a little younger than I would have guessed. Yes. But, all right. So next study, American Journal of Infection Control, Rodriguez Martinez et al. That rhymed. I love it. That's a cool name. It'd be like. I don't even want to go there. Anyway, so a systematic review, there was 14 studies they looked at looking at our ultraviolet light and vaporized hydrogen peroxide are doing pretty decently at decontaminating N95 filtered face masks. I so, should probably have mine cleaned. I think they, I've had the same masks since, so I don't know, February. Well. Probably ain't going so well for me. I think I probably have the same one since I started working here eight years ago. Could be. They're old. <laughs> One of them had a World War II stamp on it. So (laughs) the next one was Abate et al. Uh, This is actually uh, Abate. Abate. This was uh, an interesting little thing that they did. 
And it was actually looking at a review of the studies of coronavirus and some of the outcomes uh, from ICU admissions. This is almost 25,000 people, 37 yeah. articles. Yeah, it was a ton of people and uh, and really looked at a bunch of uh, different ICUs. And when you looked at fatality among ICU patients, it was about 39%. And I think Ouch. that's the part that's kind of the, the thing to think about if you end up in the ICU that was um, worldwide. Yeah, the U.S. Worldwide. were a little bit better. Yeah, thirty-six percent just snuck underneath thirty-nine. So yeah, and I think for me it was just looking at once you end up in the ICU and ventilated, likely things are this is serious. But this study did not ferret out whether they were ventilated in the ICU or not yet ventilated. Didn't so say. yeah, because I think the ventilated is higher percentage. But whether you if you end up in the unit, yeah, it's not a good sign. Correct. So. All right, so Riser et al., this is a preprint, not yet peer-reviewed. This is looking at adolescents in Norway, and this you, you can do this one again just because you loved I, this. I liked this you because basically it. what it said is if you didn't hang out with your friends and you took being quarantined or isolated seriously, you actually knew more about COVID-19. Why? Because you were sitting around watching TV, <laughs> and then you ended up watching the news and so really they showed that the people that had the most knowledge uh, about COVID-19 were people who tended to isolate uh, because they had nothing else to do. Right. That's my assumption. It doesn't say that in there, but I'm assuming that. All right. So we're moving on next day. This is studies that were all kind of highlighted on July 14th, last Tuesday. And this is looking at our next door neighbors in Wisconsin. So... Being in Minnesota, you know, we're mostly Vikings fans. But they looked at this journal, Observational Study of Shoppers. So about 5,500 people entering 36 different grocery and retail locations around southeastern Wisconsin in a, like, basically a six-day period, June 3rd to June 9th. The likelihood of an individual wearing a mask was associated with being old, being female, and shopping in an urban location. However... Fewer than 50% of all individuals were actually wearing a mask. But a little known fact, actually, I, I kind of dug deeper into this, that about 79% of these people were wearing at least one piece of clothing that had Green Bay Packers on it, a uh, small. And there small. was like 50% that had more than one article of clothing yeah. with Green Bay Packers. And actually half the people that were wearing a mask, it was a Green Bay mask. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. No, but that's hilarious. It's probably true. My son has a Dodgers mask because, you know, why not? It might be true. All right. We're going to hair salons in uh, Missouri's now. So we're out of the grocery stores in Wisconsin. Hair salons. Were they grocery stores that sold a lot of cheese? Probably. Anyway, Hendrix et al. This is MMWR. So we always love that journal. Hair salon in Missouri. This was super cool to me. They looked at 139 clients that were exposed to two different hairstylists who had... COVID. So positive COVID with symptoms, yet 139 clients still had exposure to them. All of them, even in the ones who had symptoms, were negative. Well, I lied. There were 67 that were actually tested and they were all negative. But some of them, four of them actually had symptoms and had a no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Other hairstylists in the salon, four mm -hmm. of them got positive. So Basically, I think this goes to the whole fact of what we've seen in medicine is you're more likely to get COVID from the people you work with, the other healthcare workers, the break rooms, things like that, than you are 
from if, a patient. And if you're wearing a mask, because sometimes you take the mask off when you go home and you take the mask off in the break room. Right. So anyway, not saying you should go see a hairstylist who's symptomatic, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the I should say the stylist and the clients were all wearing masks. Like, man, I need a haircut so bad. I don't care if you have COVID or not. Um, so the next one was Kuo, K-U-O at L. And this was actually in emerging infectious diseases. The, they did a little study that was actually about uh, control measures uh, from COVID, right? So the collateral... No, we're talking about COVID? Yeah. It was the collateral <laughs> benefit of what we're doing to avoid COVID actually showed that people were getting less influenza. Not exactly a surprise. So, But it was interesting that we're seeing less of other diseases because people are being so doggone careful. Careful and a lot of healthcare avoidance. Yep. So maybe there was influenza. They just didn't all go to the doctor immediately and get tested. Probably. Anyway. Okay, moving to Maryland now. So we're cut, we're, we're catching a lot of states. So this guy's name is Bigelow at L. Deuce? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. JAMA. This JAMA Internal Medicine. 11 Maryland long-term care facilities. They did universal testing and detected 354 additional cases. So 40% of those were tested in addition to the 150 three that were identified. So they looked at all these people. They said, who has symptoms for COVID? 153 of them. Yep. They had COVID. They had symptoms, but they found 354 additional people who had no symptoms. So 55% of the people who they tested in this long-term care facility had been asymptomatic. After two weeks, there was an additional 117 cases. 87% of those 117 cases also were asymptomatic. That is crazy. Yes. So there's, you know, there's a whole benefit of doing widespread testing in hotspots. And actually, the convent right next to our clinic actually did universal testing on all the nuns last week. Yeah, it's a Symptomatic thing. or not. It's a thing. It is. Uh, next, we had a little something. and I'm going to murder this guy's name. Uh, <laughs> Journal of Investigative Medicine. This guy's name is Hens Rivlet. At L. Forget it. Uh, but he's was, a nephrologist, so he's way smarter than <laughs> it's us. Like I can't say that name, but he did a meta-analysis, uh, and this was really about the instance of acute kidney injury. And really, basically, the bottom line of this whole thing, this whole paper, was that if you have acute injury coming in to your kidneys, uh, that's a bad thing, and it's a thirteen-fold increased risk of mortality. Yes. So uh, that uh, those people that come in with acute kidney issues, that's never good. Yes. So. All right. Bottom line. Bottom line. We're just cutting to the chase tonight at the late. Exactly. All right. Moving on to July 15th, we are now in the Journal of Nature Communications, Vivanti. I love that. Actually, I really love that. So they demonstrated this. This is a little scary, and I don't have a lot of in-depth further First information. Case, First case of transplacental transmission of you know, COVID in a neonate. Born to a mom who was infected in this third trimester, and this is in what Paris somewhere. I think it's just amazing how many different areas they, they got COVID. They from. totally violated this poor little baby, positive from literally every possible source. Um, the baby actually presented, whether that means immediately after birth or later on, with neurological manifestations similar to adult patients. But don't know a lot of details except we do now have a neonate that appears to have transplacental yeah, transmission. It was in his blood. Bronchoalveolar lavage fluid and nasopharyngeal and, and rectal swabs and placental samples. Oh my goodness! Everywhere. So the, the next one was from uh, Ahmed uh, et al. 
Journal of Travel Medicine. Yeah, Journal of Travel Medicine. This is kind nobody of a, gets to travel anymore. No travel. What's, What's that? that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a surveillance tool for assessing the presence of COVID nineteen infected travelers. The only part about this was, I'm just wondering who has to do this on the, <laughs> on the sh- cruise ship. Rock paper scissors. Yeah, it's like they uh, reported 21 samples from aircraft and cruise ship wastewater <laughs> sanitation systems. I'm trying to not laugh. Uh, and so basically, they they're saying that hey, th- what this suggests is that you could actually surveil the wastewater in these large transport vessels. <laughs> transport <laughs> and, vessel. Okay. It's like and, a uterus. And know whether or not you got somebody on board who's got COVID. So it's like, okay, who's lowest on the totem pole? <laughs> who's the newest, uh, you know. The rookie on board. Yeah, you got to go check the, I want you to go in the bathroom, fill, <laughs> fill this vial. Uh, but yeah, anyway. that's they're thinking that in some of these cruise ships, it, at least then you know if you need to be, start testing people. And quarantining people. Sorry, I couldn't stop All right. laughing. I'm going to move on to <laughs> Fill the Journal this of <laughs> Vaccines, Clinger et al. So bottom line here is we still don't know what to do with this BCG immunization. Another study saying that countries that still do the BCG, so the... Um, TB vaccine, excuse me, um, still appear to have lower rates of COVID deaths than in countries who don't do this vaccine. So as, stay tuned. We still don't know. Yeah, for as you sure, recall, but. the first one, the study that came out, the problem was that the people were much younger. So there was that whole thing that death was less. Well, yeah, but they're all younger. So uh, stay tuned. It's kind of like hydroxychloroquine. Did I say the whole word? You did. Um, where we just were just waiting for more stuff to come out. But Ooh, is that a, yeah, you know. here we go. All right, next there was uh, FIPS, and this is actually in the American Journal of Clinical Pathology as the antibody, the COVID antibody responses don't predict COVID disease severity. So it was interesting that um, how, what, your, what your levels are don't really predict how sick you are. But uh, the specificity was 100%. Yeah, and so I think that, uh, you know, using the IgG testing, uh, pretty reasonable at that 14 days just to kind of see what whether or not the the nasal swabs or oropharyngeal swabs were accurate. Correct. All right, so back to the vaccine. We talked about this a little bit last week. So this is Jackson et al. Uh, this is in the New England Journal of Medicine, so it's not a little one, but they this is that 45 participants who got this mRNA-1273 vaccine to try to induce antibody and T-cell immune responses. And again, it's looking like it's a little bit you know, it's looking good, but the antibody responses were higher among those who got a higher dose, as you'd kind of expect. But the titers in all the participants, including the serum neutralizing activity, were higher in all 45 of these participants. So apparently this trial did not have any safety concerns at this point, but this is positive I'm in not the vaccine any, world. I'm not getting any younger. Give me that shot. Right. All right. Next we had... Uh, the mental health stuff. Uh, this has always been pretty interesting, and I, uh, you know, I just watched something on the news where they were interviewing these patients that had had COVID and how stressed out they were. And, you know, really, when this was actually done in Ireland by Kurt, thinks he has he Kurt, gets so stressed out if like he hears somebody in a county away from us gets COVID. Karatsis. So I can't even imagine you getting diagnosed with COVID. 
Anyway, this is in the journal Traumatic Stress. I didn't know there was a journal of Traumatic Stress. Your picture is probably in there. Um, I'm going to say you wrote it. Yeah, Karatsius et al. I can't say his name. But basically what they're saying is that uh, you know PTSD is probably about 18% of post-COVID patients. And if they screened positive for PTSD, half those people actually met criteria for depression, half for general anxiety disorder, and 60% for either one. So... Uh, this is a group that's just, you know, getting sick and really having a lot of trouble. There's a lot of problems. And uh, it's interesting that when you look at this, that PTSD is associated with younger age, male, us males, we take things seriously. It's called the man flu. Yeah, and living in a city, <laughs> living with children, and moderate and high perceived risk of COVID infection. So There you go. Anyway, so this next one's a little complicated, but bear with me. This is this is from Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation Team. They use some model to estimate the trajectory. I cannot speak today. Trajectories of COVID impacts and infections, and what this is going to do. Well, if they look at this model, they predict the cumulative total deaths across the U.S. could reach. Get ready: four hundred and thirty thousand four hundred ninety-four people by December thirty-first. Yeah, Happy New Year. Greater yeah. than sixty percent of the deaths actually they're predicting would occur in the following five states: California, Florida, Texas, Massachusetts, and Virginia. I find this so amazing that New York is not on this list after everything that happened in New York. Yeah, they've shut it down though. Yeah, and they're really but, saying that that it's universal masking could drop this by a hundred thousand. So yeah. if somebody came out, and I'm not saying who, if somebody came out and said everybody wears a mask in public. We could save 100,000 people. Right. Potentially. Potentially. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, 16th. 16th of July. Well, you know, here we go again. The Diamond Pru- Princess cruise ship. Um, they did a lot of stuff and a simulation <laughs> modeling. And they, they did some kind of simulation modeling I've frankly never heard of. Iterative. Yeah. I'm sorry. Dr. Naska, you might need to explain to us what yeah. that is. Yeah. Well, anyway, what they decided was most of the trouble was aerosolization and inhaling that. So this was a this was airborne kind of sucking it in is where they think most of the cases I came mean, from. I mean, you get that for like the, the air that's flowing through all these cabins, but you're in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Can't you suck some of the air in from outside? You'd think so. This was by Azemi at L, and this was actually a preprint. All right, another preprint, Zhang and Wang. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm 12. Um, This is also a preprint. Simulation modeling based on fluid dynamics, mouse models, the median infection risk of contracting COVID via aerosol for one hour was more than three orders of magnitude lower than the risk of close contact. So aerosolizing... Yes, it's still a thing based on the last preprint, but this preprint says it's there, but it's being in close contact. Yeah, probably still all day. So well, it's I in mean, a house. Well, and if you're in close contact, though, I mean, is that like within that six feet? So now you're getting more droplets, not just the aerosolized. I mean, I'm assuming there's a combo there. So the next one is actually Goldberg in Massachusetts, yeah, another clinical, state. Clinical infectious disease. And I, I love this little study because what they showed was that they took this. Uh, they took this nursing home and did universal testing uh, without a known case of COVID-19. This yeah. is stunning. And they had 85% prevalence of COVID-19 among residents 
and 37% among participating staff. Isn't that crazy? So no no cases. Yeah, this place, nobody thought anybody had a problem. I guess they missed something. And they did serial testing over a week. Yeah, so, and, so bear down and take a look at those nursing homes. But it's not that they didn't have a case, but they had been doing universal masking, temperature checks, symptom screening. Again, for the it, staff for at least two weeks prior to the testing period. Again, it comes back to the amazing Dr. Amanda Noska saying, what really is asymptomatic? Well, and You still have to notice it. I think there's still going to be a study coming out about nursing homes. And because they're having such a difficult time even staffing them, like if you have a symptom, are they still not going to let you in? Or do they really just need you? So they tell you just be more careful. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, Gupta. Gupta. I mean- that's just a good name in medicine. It is. It's cool. JAMA Internal Medicine, um, multi-center cohort study, COVID patients admitted to the ICU, 2,200 patients. Um, risk factors associated with a 28-day mortality include older age. And this is... Nothing new. Older age was greater than equal to 80 compared to younger than 40-year-olds. 80. But I'm still younger than 40. Um, male. Sorry obesity so this is a bmi greater than equal to 40 i just sucked my stomach in whatever your bmi is like 16 coronary artery disease active cancer acute organ dysfunction this goes back to that whole acute kidney injury and and here's the most important part part. patients admitted to a hospital with fewer icu beds had a higher risk of death and this is fewer than 50 (laughs) yep you just roll into this town of 10 and get admitted to their hospital um I think we have five. So, like transfer me out. 35% no, I mean, of this cohort, so 35% of this 2,200 patients studied. Then now remember, these were all ICU admitted patients. 35% of them died, which fits the yeah. mortality of going to the ICU pretty darn well as the previous study we mentioned. Next in the clinic research and reviews, Satar et al. He did a little thing on BMI and future risk of COVID-19 infection and death. Um, and so... Really, the bottom line here is there is a strong association between BMI and a positive SARS-CoV test and COVID-19-related death. So basically, he said that your BMI is more strongly related to test positivity and death among members, especially of the non-white racial groups. So Yeah, your BMI was even a higher risk than even people older than 70. Yeah, so BMI, very important. Oh, I just now read this in depth. Matthew... Matu at all from the Journal of Science using deep immune profiling. Wow. Just seems very Super. invasive. Um, immune responses in 125 patients with COVID, three different immunotypes with unique T cell, B cell, and lymphocyte responses. So there's a lot of differences in this immunological response, which I think obviously COVID's done a lot of harm in the world, but there's been a lot of, you know, or several at least positive things. And I think our understanding of the immune system coming out of COVID is just going to be ridiculous. Yeah. And so basically what they're saying is what you got in the bank for immune system. You either thank your parents or curse them. Yeah. Cause it may have a lot to do with how you do. Exactly. So next, uh, a little something that was a preprint by Kerr at L. And this was actually uh, an interesting little thing on controlling COVID-19 via test trace quarantine. And so basically the bottom line here is they're trying to find the strategy of how um, how we can do high mass compliance and how we deal with school closures and whether we have school. And basically what they're saying is that if you can do contact tracing 
within two days, 50% of all contacts have to be traced within two days, that you could have enough going for you that it would be sufficient to maintain the epidemic control despite full return to workplace and community mobility. So the bottom line here is... So you're saying our one-week turnaround is not sufficient. Yeah, this is just crazy because we can't contact, trace anybody, nobody. uh, Can you please list everyone you've contacted since your swab was done? Yeah. I mean, seven here's Morrison County. I mean, yeah, but it's the whole state now. It's just, right. it's just, and I think it's because those southern states are. No, starting. I didn't even mean Morrison County. I yeah. just meant like my whole list would be, you know, half the county. So, yeah. But the reality is, you need to get the testing down to two days and do contact tracing to slow this down. And as of yet, I don't think our state has that right now. No. So. Another state was mentioned, though. That was in Seattle. Yep. So we got Washington covered on, too. Anyway, preprint Shao et al. This one's really neat. They're looking at aerosol generation from eight study participants. So obviously it's not a huge study, but they're looking at scenarios including an elevator, a lecture hall, and a supermarket. So the transmission in an elevator under high ventilation would be very low with normal breathing. However, if the person who has COVID is a jabbermouth, Everybody in the elevator screwed, yep. basically. You're spreading it. Yep. Now, if you're in a classroom and the person who has COVID is the lecturer, so the teacher, the, the professor, or whatever, the risk to students is lowest if the ventilation is located near the emitter, near yeah. the speaker. Just dropping it right down on him. <sighs> Trying to suck the air right out of his air out of his airways. Yep. So changing the location of ventilation in a supermarket may actually alter the risk to shoppers throughout the store and the cashiers. Wow. So... Again, this whole so ventilation to, thing, aerosol. I mean, this goes back to the whole aerosolization thing again. Now, the elevator, you'd be within six feet, but everything else. Mm. Oh, look, you get to do this one. Oh, this is by Skipper et al. Skipper. Never mind. Um, Gilligan Island. Never mind. Uh, but anyway, he uh, he did a little hydroxychloroquine and not Oh, my God. Patient. You just said it again for did the I say second the whole word? time. You did. Uh, this was in the Annals of Internal Medicine. This is kind of a, a study where they, it was a randomized double-blind placebo trial, right? So they, they gave different doses of hydroxychloroquine. The H-drug? Uh, yeah, the H-drug uh, among symptomatic non-hospitalized patients and with laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 or probable COVID-19. And these patients that were in the hydroxychloroquine arm had a non-significant lower probability of ongoing symptoms at two weeks. So basically didn't seem to do much. There were five events of hospitalization of ongoing symptoms at 14 days. Um, and, and really, there wasn't a huge difference. There was a risk of medication-related adverse effects, obviously, from the hydroxychloroquine, GI symptoms being most. But again, this is another eh, mediocre hydroxychloroquine drug study. Wow, you just want to say that word. I do. All right, next one. I love this. Um, so we're looking at the Cardiovascular Research Journal Batty and Hammer. It's cool names. I mean, community-based prospective cohort or looking in the United Kingdom found that current smoking, physical inactivity, obesity, once again, and diabetes positively associated, of course. However, they also, oh, blood pressure, by the way, didn't seem to have any type of association or increased risk. But they found that total cholesterol and HDL were associated with lower risk. So if you look at the Framingham risk score, so the thing we're supposed to use now to determine if a patient has crappy cholesterol based on a bunch of risk factors, including all the things I just said, smoking, obesity, and all that. 
So Framingham risk score positively associated with COVID in the two highest quintiles. So basically, if you have a really high Framingham risk score, your risk of having more severe COVID is also higher. Next, I'm just going to hit the highlight of this next study that was actually in the Journal of American Medical Directors Association. It's actually a study done on community living centers, like seven over 7,000 residents, so it's a ton of people. But I think one of the things, you know, when we're screening people at the beginning of the day, you know, oh, did they have a temp or blah, 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 only 27% uh, of the positive people, people positive for COVID, met the fever threshold. So, again, a lot of people are sneaking through that whole fever deal. Uh, so just something to think about. There you go. Another another nursing home. Another nursing home journal, American Geriatric Society. So this is white et that. al. <laughs> <laughs> right next year, AARP in bolded letters or, you know, the large font. <laughs> yeah. If anyone wants a copy of the picture of it with his name on it, I have it. So they looked at a subset of 64 different skilled nursing facilities in at least 25 states. So they looked at a lot of places. So they found that 23% of all of these nursing homes had COVID outbreaks. And here's here's the kicker. Ready for the common sense? Hit me. The larger your facility, the higher probability of an outbreak. Bigger, not better when it comes to COVID. There you go. I'm going to end with that statement. Next and last. No, well, there's second two last, more. Faulkner et al. And this is actually, oh, it was actually... Uh, it's Where a preprint. It? UK, a Ireland, pre-print. New Zealand, oh, yeah. Australia. Uh, well, basically what they did is they online surveyed a whole pile of people. And what they what they found is that, you know, patients who reported this negative change in exercise behavior, they had poor mental health and well-being than those with no or improved exercise behavior. So and, tell us all so who, who had, did better. Who did better, who exercised more and got out and did stuff? Well, women. Young people reported more negative changes. So young people, 18 to 29, sat around and played video games more, it appears, uh, whereas women tended to do more. And I love this. New Zealand actually did the best in all four of these areas. And if you've ever been to New Zealand, you would understand because there's more sheep than people. Social distancing is like the norm, and it's gorgeous. Mm. That's my New Zealand tourism bureau that I just worked for. Okay, last one. Park et al., Journal of Emerging Infectious Diseases, a lot of people. So you have 5,700 positive COVID cases. They looked at 59,000 of their contacts. Yeah, basically an average of nine days after the index case diagnosis is how long they watched them. But basically 12% of household contacts got COVID. That's not that high. Um, 2% for non-household contacts. So obviously higher if you lived with them. Highest in household contacts when the index case was in this 10 to 19 years of age. So that's your middle to high schoolers. However, only 2% of index cases were actually in that age group. So they weren't the first case, but then that age group got it. And then the more severe people were got it from them. Is wow. that That's what that's saying, right? Highest proportion of positive contacts were over 70. Once again. Once again. See, you're not that old, Kurt. I know. That was a compliment. Like young. Anyway. That's it for the whole week. The whole week. Um, This week, in case you have yet to hear, even though we've said it a thousand times, we have the Dr. Mike Osterholm on our Echo on Tuesday. Yes. Should be amazing. He's going to talk. And please bring questions because he's really looking forward to the Q&A aspect. He's not going to make any kind of formal thing because, of course, he's been a little bit busy. So let's question and answer time. 
uh, Dr. Patel from the Mayo Clinic did request that we save the question for Dr. Ostrom as to when the pandemic would be over. So I can't wait to hear him laugh out loud to that question. Yeah, he will. He will. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening and we will be back Tuesday. next Tuesday. All right. Battle legs. Here you go. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go So make the best of this test and don't ask why It's not a question but a lesson learned in time It's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life So take the photographs and still frames in your mind Hanging on a shelf in good health and good times Tattoos and memories and dead skin on trial For what it's worth, it was worth all the while There's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life Something unpredictable, but in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life